Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode of Mentally Stronger. Do you want to explain a bit about the different types of attachment? Sure. There's typically four different types of attachment. I, I don't love the labels because we actually can have pockets of many, but um, you can identify with one style. Um, so there's secure, which they have inherent trust in the world. They don't have a hard time getting close. They don't typically feel abandoned. Uh, secure people, you know, they're just they have a little bit, I guess, more ease. And when they were babies, their parents were attuning better and co-regulating better with them. So they built a neural wiring for a more secure base in life. It's really wonderful. And then the other three types are more insecure types. So there's anxious, avoidant, and fearful. And so anxious tend to have inconsistent parenting. So what that looks like is that mom might've been there. Maybe she's anxious. The baby can kind of feel she's there. We tend to leave ourselves and kind of attune to the caretaker. And this is also what happens in romantic relationship down the line. We like self-abandon and attune to our partner. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of six books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you worry a lot about being abandoned by someone? Are you a people pleaser? Do you need frequent reassurance that your partner is happy with you? If any of those sound like you, you might struggle with an anxious attachment. Now, to be clear, it's not that you're always anxiously attached or you're always securely attached. You might have some relationships where you feel pretty secure and others where you feel incredibly insecure, depending on the dynamics between you and your partner. Learning more about your attachment style and your partner's can help you better understand a lot of things about yourself and why you do the things you do. I just read a new study earlier today that was published in Psychology of Music. Researchers found that more than 86% of popular songs about relationships depict an insecure attachment style, including avoidant, anxious, and fearful attachment. That means that most of the songs out there about relationships are trying to make unhealthy attachment issues seem normal. But according to my guest today, you don't have to struggle with attachment issues. You can heal from them. 
I'm talking to Jessica Baum, the author of Anxiously Attached. Jessica is a psychotherapist and the founder of the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach. Some of the things she talks about today are why we form anxious attachments, the signs that you're anxiously attached, and what to do about it. So here's Jessica Baum on how to shift from anxious attachment to secure love. Jessica Baum, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Thank you so much for having me. So you wrote this book called Anxiously Attached. And although you are a therapist, you didn't write it just because you've mastered it. You struggled with anxious attachment at some point in your life as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm still working through bits and pieces of it. Uh, It's unfolding for sure. And do you want to explain a little bit about what happened and how you realized, hey, I struggle with this too? Yeah. I mean, I I noticed that I struggled with codependency in my 20s. I think a lot of people kind of wake up and they're like, wow, I'm over-sacrificing. And you check all the boxes around, you know, caretaking or self-abandoning and you know, I struggled with some depression and anxiety in my house uh, in my um, my early years. So codependency was the buzzword, you know, and then I um, became a psychotherapist and I started to study attachment theory and I became an imago therapist, which is a couples therapist, which took a couple years. And in my relationships, I started to realize that, yes, while we have this word codependent, it really comes down to attachment theory. And when you start to really unpack attachment theory, you have such a better understanding of your adaptive strategies and why you are the way you are in relationship and how to kind of start to work towards healing. Do you want to explain a bit about the different types of attachment? Sure. There's typically four different types of attachment. I I don't love the labels because we actually can have pockets of many, but um, you can identify with one style. Um, So there's secure, which they have inherent trust in the world. They don't have a hard time getting close. They don't typically feel abandoned. Uh, Secure people, you know, they're just they have a little bit, I guess, more ease. And when they were babies, their parents were attuning better and co-regulating better with them. So they built a neural wiring for a more secure base in life. It's really wonderful. And then the other three types are more insecure types. So there's anxious, avoidant, and fearful. And so anxious tend to have inconsistent parenting. So what that looks like is that mom might have been there. Maybe she's anxious. The baby can kind of feel she's there. We tend to leave ourselves and kind of attune to the caretaker. And this is also what happens in romantic relationship down the line. We like self-abandon and attune to our partner. We know what our partner is feeling. And this is an early adaptive strategy. And we can shift into sympathetic activation. We cry out when we're upset. Um, they, They fit more of the hallmark codependent traits. Um, And they're all adaptations that we actually learn in our nervous system from early developmental um, interactions with our primary caregiver. Then there is avoidant and a true avoidant um, struggles with closeness sometimes or intimacy in a relationship. But uh, often either the caregiver was very left hemisphere driven, which means they met their needs, but they didn't connect emotionally to the child. So the child grew up in a world where they were focused on more left-driven things, success, job, independence. And so they struggle with co-regulation or being there with their partner. They tend to be more independent. And, you know, so that's more of an avoidant type of way of dealing in relationship. And then there's fearful, which can be even more trauma, but really struggles with being close. 
and also struggles with distance so they can feel trapped in their body. I always think of a baby who's been abused. And so we need our parent. We have to depend on our parent. We have no choice. Yet if that parent is not safe or angry or abusive in any way, we get stuck in the limbo of feeling like I can't get too close, but I also need them. And that can happen in relationships as well. I know I've been in a relationship where you know, I really wanted to get close to that person, but that person wasn't safe and I didn't know what to do. So I felt really what we call disorganized, but really stuck in this state of, um, of fear, a lot of fear. So you can fall anywhere in those categories and attachment is a two-way street. So your embedded patterns and adaptive strategies are partnered with your partner's embedded patterns. So the dance of both of your patterns Um, and nervous system and how that relates to each other and sense of safety, connection, all of that stuff is more of an energetic unit that is combined. So you might show up more anxious or codependent with one person and more avoidant with another. It's because we are not just static individuals. We are combining our energies with other people as well. I'm glad you brought that up because I've heard people come into my therapy office and say, you know, like, I was in this one relationship and it was really stable. Now I'm dating somebody else and I feel like I'm doing things that I don't normally do or I'm really struggling in a way that I haven't before. Like, what's wrong with me? Have I gotten worse? But really, it's just about the relationship dynamics. They are probably now dating somebody who's avoidant and it's just sending their anxiety uh, so much higher that they're doing things that they didn't do in the last relationship if they were dating somebody who was a lot more secure. Absolutely. And an avoidant person can bring up your work. And I talk about that in my book is that sometimes people activate deeply rooted, you know, memory systems inside of you. And so you might be doing all these quote unquote crazy behaviors, but the truth is something deeply is activated in you. And if you bring that to your therapist, you might actually get to the root of it. And that person can just be a catalyst or a portal into some of your deeper healing. So a lot of the things that I'll see from people if they're anxious and perhaps they're dating somebody who is avoidant is they'll say things like, I kind of stalk them on Instagram to see what they're doing. I want to know whose things they're liking because I'm nervous. I feel like, what if they're cheating on me or they're not telling me the truth? Or when we get in a disagreement, I'm kind of desperate to hash it out right now because I'm afraid that they're mad at me. Or I overthink things. When they say something, I start to wonder, what do they really mean by that? Or they don't like me. Am I not attractive enough? But what other kinds of things might you see when an anxious person is dating somebody who's avoidant? Yeah, so anxious people need a lot of reassurance. So sometimes if there's not enough contact, they can get angry because they're terrified or, um, oh God, yeah, jealousy can happen. It can happen on both sides. It's not just anxious people, but there's a sense of, I don't feel safe. When is the shoe going to drop? A hypervigilance that they have. Uh, distrust that maybe they've been cheated on before or they're not expecting things to work out because remember the parents were inconsistent. And I know that a lot of people who might be listening might like actually not be in touch with whether their mother was inconsistent or not. But the truth is your mom could have just been stressed out and that could have been inconsistent for the baby, you know? So when you, when you're in a relationship, you're just waiting for like the worst to happen. So you're always expecting the worst, checking in on them, just feeling a lot of jealousy or insecurities that can come up a lot. And yeah, when you're fighting, um, most anxious people feel, have a fear of abandonment, a conscious fear of abandonment and unconscious fear of intimacy, but the conscious fear of abandonment comes up. So when they fight, they want to make up immediately because the the rupture doesn't feel safe. So they'll do whatever they can to kind of repair it or self-sacrifice or compromise themselves 
It's not a true repair. And so just to get back into connection. And that's also an adaptive strategy. Yeah, that's another another common run, right? Where people will say, well, I, I gave in, I agreed. I said I wasn't mad, even though I was, but I was afraid if I didn't do that, then we weren't ever going to reconcile or we weren't going to get back together or they'd stay mad at me. And then they feel bad that they sort of abandoned their values or agreed to something they didn't really want to agree to. Absolutely. And I think I would go as far as that anxious people sometimes completely abandon themselves. They abandon their body. They can sense what's going on in their partner's body. They'll meet their partner's needs before they'll meet their own. And that becomes kind of like subconscious, just autopilot at a certain point because they're so scared of being abandoned that they just overcompromise themselves. All the time this happens. Do we know like how many people are probably anxiously attached? Is there data on that? I mean, the data is around 25%, but I think it's increasing a lot because of technology and parents not being as uh, present and kind of the way our culture is moving. All insecure attachment styles are actually on the uprise, which is so sad because it's, as someone who has worked so hard on healing, it is, it's hard, you know, it's hard to heal, um, it's hard to heal these attachment wounds. So it's, it's sad to think that we're moving more in a direction where there's more and more insecurities or insecure attachment on the rise. Yeah, I was wondering that too, because I would agree just in the 20 years I've been a therapist, I would say I've seen it on the rise too. And I'm curious whether it's because of partly of technology before you couldn't say insta-stalk your partner, but now you can. So there's a lot of things going on there, but I think you're right in terms of parenting strategies have changed and, um, how much of that's impacting relationships these days as well. Now I'm going to pause for just a second to get a quick word from our sponsor. Mentally Stronger is sponsored by BetterHelp. Some of the relationships I'm proudest of in my life are friendships that started in childhood. And even though we live in different states now and we have different careers and interests, we've stayed friends for decades through lots of highs and lows in life. The common misconception about relationships is that they should be easy, But sometimes the best relationships happen when both people put in the work to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with friends, coworkers, your significant other, or anyone else. Therapy can help you set boundaries, become more vulnerable, and communicate better. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist fast. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash mentally strong today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash mentally strong. An electrolyte imbalance can cause headaches, fatigue, cramps, brain fog, and weakness. I know because I learned the hard way. Like a lot of people, I avoid eating too much processed food and I drink plenty of water, which is healthy, but it also depletes your brain and your body of the sodium that they need to function at their best. So I started drinking Element, a zero sugar electrolyte drink mix that's free of artificial colors and other dodgy ingredients. Having my electrolytes back in balance has cured my brain fog and I have a lot more energy. I love all the flavors, like watermelon salt, but now I'm also a fan of the new Element Chocolate Medley, which is meant to be enjoyed hot. My favorite flavor is chocolate mint, 
I love to drink it in the cool evenings on my sailboat. If you want to see how much better Element can make you feel, try it risk-free. Order it for yourself, and if you don't like it, give it away, and they'll give you your money back. No questions asked. And right now, members of the Mentally Stronger community can receive a free Element sample pack with any order. Just go to drinkelement.com slash stronger to claim your sample pack. That's drinklmnt.com slash stronger. Okay, let's get back to talking about anxious attachment. How often is it that somebody who is anxiously attached tends to end up with somebody who's avoidant? And why do we see that combination so much? Yeah, I mean, they. so the thing of it is, is that your anxiety and your embedded patterns are going to show up in no matter what relationship you're in. Um, avoidant people and anxious people tend to gravitate towards each other. An anxious person sees an avoidant person as like independent and rather stoic and not anxious, even though they are deep inside. You just can't see it. They're kind of detached from it. And an avoidant person will look at an anxious person and they'll see them be lively and think they're really vulnerable. So there's an attraction. There's like a magnetic attraction to the two like missing parts. Um, so it can feel very alluring, um, you know, and you, you know, might be attracted to that bad boy or that bad girl who's not really available. It's also that not available type that's, that can be perceived a little bit as more avoidant. So also we have the pattern inside of us. So if an anxious person attaches to someone who's secure, it doesn't mean that their patterns don't show up. It just means that they have a likelihood of working through those patterns and that the two people aren't going to like trigger or awaken so much wounding in each other and they can't get through it. So part of the problem with anxious and avoidant is that an avoidant person shuts down and moves away. An anxious person wants to get closer. They both want different things in order to self-regulate or get back into safety. And they're the, the, the polar opposite things of what the other person needs. So they can never really get into connection when they get dysregulated. How soon do problems start to show up when people start uh, dating? How soon might they realize, ooh, here's some problems? Yeah, I mean, every couple's different. I mean, you have a honeymoon phase, of course, and that can last, you know, a couple days to a year or so, you know, so problems might not show up for a year. I even heard two years, sometimes things have not shown up. And then, you know, sometimes you are in the honeymoon phase and you can literally tell when you shift out of the honeymoon phase into more conflict and more reality when you're the, kind of disillusioned and you're like, okay, here's the person and the issues. So it really depends on the couple. Um, it's a, there's a lot of factors that there's just no one way. And we're talking about dating, but plenty of people get married in this scenario, right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of people and they're sometimes they're miserably stuck in these cycles and without therapy and help, they're never in connection. They're just kind of, you know, one person's shutting down, the other person's getting reactive and, and they're just stuck in these cycles. And it's, it's quite miserable. I, I write a lot about how to kind of work through that and start to see things differently. But they're not doomed, right? When people are no. in that scenario, they can find ways to work it out. Oh, absolutely. I just think you need the information and you need the support or else you're just unconsciously repeating patterns. So what can somebody do? They say, you know, gosh, I realize I uh, am anxious and I'm, I'm struggling in this relationship I'm in. Perhaps they are with somebody who's avoidant. Maybe the avoidant person doesn't really see a problem or they just think the anxious person has a problem. But what do you do about it? What steps can you take? Typically, the anxious person wants the avoidant person to get better. Correct. You know, <laughs> but I think the 
the first step, and this is one that I took, is do your own work. And so start to look at that, your partner, even though you would like them to change and you can see everything that might be going on wrong with them and they are really not maybe being helpful or wanting to do the inner work, it's still a catalyst and an opportunity for you to do your own work. So whatever your partner is bringing up inside of you, bring that to a professional. Have them hold it, have them connect it to something deeper, and you can start to heal. And either you won't be as impacted by your avoidant partner and you'll learn to love what how they can show up, or you'll outgrow them, you know, and everybody's path is different. But you always have the agency to make your own choice and to bring the pain and suffering that you're experiencing in your relationship to a professional to get to the root of it because it will repeat itself in your next relationship regardless. So you might as well like make that commitment towards yourself and, and finding the right support, the right therapist, the right coach, um, one who works with somatics and the body, one who understands attachment theory is really important. Yeah, because when you talk about the body, people who are anxious, when they are really anxious about their partner, like they their body responds almost like they're dangling off the edge of a cliff, right? They're in a complete panic mode. What do you do? How can people learn how to manage that? Yeah. I mean, so they shift into sympathetic activation, which is a part of our nervous system and it's very scary and you can feel it in your heart and sometimes in your gut and your body is really preparing to fight or leave or flee. Um, and it's scared. It, the disconnection or the fear of abandonment takes over and it's a very scary place to be. The best thing would be co-regulation. So another person help helping you, um, kind of just letting you know that you're okay, not pouring gasoline, I say, on the relationship or the problem, but just kind of getting your system back into a state of calm. The other system that you have control over when you're really out of control, the only other system you have control over is your respiratory system. So deep breathing, particularly on your exhales, tricks your body back into a sense of safety. So those are the two things you can do. But trust me, if you're listening, I get it. I know it's really, really hard. I've been there. And um, getting this information and getting some support and some tools to help you navigate it makes you feel like you're a little less crazy when you're going through it. Yeah, that word crazy. That's what I hear from people too, is they'll say, you know, I do crazy things when my anxiety skyrockets. I uh, blow up somebody's phone 300 times or I do these things, you know, my mind goes to these really dark places and I feel like I'm out of control and I can't manage it. So then I do these things that I'm really not proud of the next day. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so an alarm system goes off and we'll do anything to get back into connection. And so if we can't be with that angst, we'll call and call and call. And it's the connection that brings us ease. And if we're with an avoidant person, that type of trying to get into connection just makes them want to avoid more. So we're in a quite a conundrum. Right. The further they're they're running away, the more somebody's chasing them. Right. And that just pushes them to go even further. And we're smiling, but it's so sad. It's such a sad, hard dynamic to get stuck in. It really is. And I can smile about it too, but only because I can also relate to it. Those feelings of sheer panic that lead you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. <laughs> right. And you think, oh, you know, I don't want to be that person who does these things. Yet in the moment, it seems like that's the best thing you can do. Because when we're in pain, even if it's emotional pain, we'll do just about anything to, to get out of it as soon as we can. Consciously or unconsciously. Right. And obviously, ideally, it would be great if both partners come to therapy, but that's not always going to happen. So are there other skills and strategies somebody can use to say, all right, I'm in this relationship. I don't want to be quite so anxious all the time. I'm working on calming my nervous system, but what else can I do? 
Yeah. And it's not even about calming your nervous system. It's about bringing that nervous system to somebody who can help hold it, whose nervous system isn't going to run in the other direction. So what we need to do is we need to meet these terrified parts that are coming up with you for you with a therapist or a coach or even a friend who is non-judgmental, warm and receptive and have that held because that's actually implicit memory, you know, that's living in our body and in our nervous system. So we don't really want to calm it. We want to meet it. We want to keep meeting it over and over and over again with safe, secure people. And eventually we move some of that trauma and some of the that no, nervous system responses through the body up through your right brain and we integrate it. So it's okay if these things are happening. It's it's really trauma. And that's a really hard thing for people to understand. But if your nervous system is in fight or flight and your stomach is going off and all of these things are happening and you want to blame your partner, your partner is definitely part of the scenario, but there's a chance there's deeper roots to this fear that you're having. And so bringing that to someone who can actually hold it gives you a chance to heal it and integrate it. So let's say somebody says, hey, my partner and I were in a disagreement about something, my partner stormed off. In that moment then, Mike calling a friend and saying, I'm struggling here. If you have a a compassionate friend who understands you, might that be a better solution? That's a great solution. If your friend doesn't say, oh, that person's a jerk and how could they storm off and really hold space and say, okay, what's coming up for you? Your anxiety, I'm here. You're not alone. And and starting to de-escalate you and not pour gasoline. A lot of our society will be like, well, let's fix it. And what is he or she doing wrong? And why are they storming off? And let me give you a solution. What we really want to do is just have a friend say, oh man, I see that you're really suffering and I'm here for you, and like I'm just going to wait this out, and let's breathe together, and I know this is really hard, that is the best type of support you can get. Okay. And for people who don't have that, do you find journaling can help if people start writing things down or at least getting it on paper? Yeah. I mean, if you don't have that, journaling definitely can help. There, you know, Journaling can help. Box breathing can help. Going for a walk can help. Accessing people who love you and like imagining what they would tell you, feeling like they're near you right now so you don't feel so alone. I'll tell you, if the wounding is really early, it's hard to to help yourself on your own. It is really a challenging place to be. So building a support system that might be able to pick up the phone for you, even if it's not in that moment, but maybe later in the day, it's, it's how we heal. We're wounded in relationship and we heal in relationship. So building, if this is you, building support, now and getting clear on who has the capacity to be there when I'm struggling and how can I start to cultivate those relationships now will really help you um, rewire your brain and start to kind of move towards security. And that's a good point that we do need other people to help us heal. And it doesn't have to be the people that originally wounded us. You don't have to go back to your mom or your dad and necessarily solve it all. There's a good chance they might've been doing the best they could at the moment. But we can reach out to to other friends, other family members, uh, like-minded people, go to a support group, find other people who can help us so that we can heal. Absolutely. Yeah, it's often not our primary caregivers that can heal us. Um, I have a friend, he's like an earth angel. He's there for me a lot. Um, you know, we co- we can co-regulate, we can build friendships and say, hey, you know, let's, let's form this partnership if I'm having a hard time or if you're having a hard time. And, you know, we can build these relationships and they're, they're so important, um, learning how to receive. I think as an anxious, someone who identifies as mostly anxiously attached, so they have pockets of everything, um, reaching out for help. And as a therapist, I think reaching out for help can be hard. So learning 
to reach out for help and then having discernment on who is actually got the capacity to hold my anxiety, not fix it, not medicate it, not tell me what to do, but actually just be present with my anxiety. Having that discernment takes time, you know, finding people who really just hold that space. Um, so I don't think a lot of our culture does that, but think maybe think in your head if you're listening, who who's really great at just listening and holding space for me. And do you think, do our, uh, if we're anxiously attached, do our behavioral patterns come out with friends and family too, or is it just mostly in romantic relationships? It really depends. Um, you know, I've been anxiously attached in my romantic relationship and I've been avoidant in a friendship. So it really it depends, again, on the other person's energy, um, their embedded patterns. I think the, the height of the severe fear comes up the most, the deeper the bond. So the deeper the bond, more likely you're activated, deeper the roots. So you're, but by all means, your boss can remind you of your mother, can act, you know, all of these things can happen. So you can have it in all different ways. And really it's around fear of loss of connection. So anybody who's important to you can activate um, some of your attachment adaptations and patterns. And that makes sense. I guess the closer we are to somebody, the more we have to lose, right? Yeah, and the more we need them and we depend on them. Now I'm going to pause for just a second to get a quick word from our sponsor. Do you want to get high-quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This is the first time in my life when I haven't had a pet. Up until two years ago, I had Jackson, a 19-year-old Himalayan cat, and Fiona, a 17-year-old English Springer Spaniel. Both of them lived on the sailboat and adjusted pretty well to life on the water. I miss them, and I look forward to getting another pet when the time is right. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of the family, and you want the best for them no matter what. But vet bills can really add up. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com stronger. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com stronger. Again, that's ASPCA, petinsurance.com slash stronger. 
This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency, LIM. Okay, let's get back to talking about anxious attachment. So then how about when it comes to a breakup? How do anxiously attached people tend to deal with breakups perhaps differently than other people? And where do you go after a breakup? Oh, my little anxiously attached people, if you're listening, breakups are hard. Because we self-abandon so much, we have to find a way back to ourselves. So breakups can be particularly daunting and we have to re-experience some of that loss. I know I went through a breakup and it can bring up all your grief. So it can bring up that. And, you know, avoidant people, they feel it, but they don't necessarily always feel it in the moment. So there's such a different way of processing loss, which can be so confusing for someone who's anxious because it's like, why are we feeling it all right now? But I happen to think... Uh, when I do feel it all right now, I process it and then I let it go rather than, you know, avoiding it and kind of distracting myself. So everybody's different and everybody needs to do what they need to do. But typically it's it's a journey out because abandonment and loss is such a familiar thing and a fear that it's 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 a process. It's a rebirth. And there's that tendency to sometimes when you break up with somebody that you just kind of want to like check on them. So you maybe you're looking on Instagram to see if they're dating somebody else or you're, uh, you know, asking other mutual friends about how the person's doing just as a way to kind of check up on them. But that can also delay our grief as well. Yeah, it can be really hard. Um, I think, you know, there's a subconscious part. I talk about little me, but really there's subconscious parts to us that are still attached And until we kind of let go and kind of don't, if we can create a lot of space and not really see that person, that part of us is going to kind of slowly realize, okay, they're not the person we need to orient or move towards. And we possibly will grieve and then start to move towards the possibility of someone new. So it's a lot harder when, especially if you're divorced or you have kids and you constantly have to see that person or you work with that person, it can be a lot harder of a grief process because you're seeing that person conscious uh, over and over again. So it's easier if you can take the space, that really take the space. And yet that fear of loss and abandonment might make you want to check up on them. And there's nothing wrong with that. That makes perfect sense. It just makes the process a little bit longer. So then if somebody says, all right, I I just ended one relationship, but eventually I want to get in another one. How much emphasis should you put on trying to find a securely attached person? You know, I think if you do the work, who you are attracted to might shift. Mm. Um, I know I've kind of experienced that. Like if you're listening and you've been attracted to AKA narcissists or love bombers in the past, the more you do your deep healing work, that allure goes away and you're kind of like icked out by someone coming towards you like that. And if you do so anxiously attached, people tend to actually be scared of intimacy And so into me, I see. And the more you do the work, um, the more you're able to develop more intimate relationships with others. So when you start dating again, you might feel less allured to the fantasy or the big gesture type of of person. And you might actually be more attuned to real connection and, and that kind of intimacy building. So, you know, if you keep Repeating the pattern, it might be a sign that there's some inner work to do because the person might change, but the wound doesn't. Um, And I know definitely that if you do the inner work, the allure of 
an earlier wound, which would be narcissistic type of wounds go away and you start to attract people who have wounds that are at later stages and they tend to have deeper, a bigger capacity to have more intimacy and the potential to grow and evolve more together. And that's interesting that you say that because a lot of people will be like, everybody's a narcissist these days, but it's not that everybody is. It's just everybody this person dates is a narcissist, right? Because they Mm -hmm. tend to be attracted to a certain type of person. And that Mm -hmm. definitely, I see that in, in my therapy office, but in my own life as well, when you change certain things about you, then yeah, the attraction to to people changes too. And then you go on and have healthier relationships. And I like the way that you said that too. It's about healing our our own wounds. And then the way that we see the world and other people shifts too. Yeah, actually, it's really interesting. So a baby who didn't get a lot of attention and bathed in like oxy, you know, oxytocin, serotonin, all of those neurochemicals, when they grow up, if they're anxiously attached, when a man or a woman comes along and makes them feel like they're the center of the world and they're so special, it's a missing developmental link. So they're, now their brain is getting bathed in, oh my God, someone thinks I'm so special and they're giving me all this attention. And it feels like oneness. It feels like, you know, I found the one. That's, that's how it happens, on, uh, you know? So there's this bathing that happens in your brain and you're like very confused because all these chemicals are going off and it makes you miss the red flags completely. And so the more you heal and you're with the idea that maybe you didn't get what you want and you're in more of your suffering and you connect more to your past, that when someone comes in and tries to shower you with attention and all of those things, you can kind of sense out, okay, this is, this is fantasy. This is love bombing. This isn't real, even though it is real for the, it can be very real for the other person because they're also stuck in early developmental wounds. But you're able to kind of sense it and you're you're actually not attracted to it anymore. And there's a cool shift that happens in healing when, when that happens. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not taking the bait there. Because there's a trick our mind plays on us, right? It thinks, well, if I can now have a healthy relationship with this person, then somehow I'll work out that old wound. But that's really not how we work it out, isn't by replaying something from our past. It's by working on ourselves. Well, we're going to re play something from our past anyway, Mm -hmm. like in the relationship. So, but I think that with those earlier wounds, there's like a fantasy buildup. So we think we're going to get healed by our abandonment because Mr. Right or Mrs. Right is going to show up, or we're going to feel so special because look at them and they are making us feel special. So there's this uh, like unconscious kind of allure to the missing link when really that person cannot, can't sustain that. And those relationships usually crash and burn, um, which is really sad and, and hard to watch. But yeah, we will repeat our trauma. It's just how conscious can we get of it and how can we start to heal it? And who can we pick that can get conscious with us? Um, some people don't, don't want to be in reality. So for somebody who's listening who says, gosh, I've had some rough relationships, but I'm not really sure what my attachment style is, or I'm not really sure I understand what what the dynamics are, what do you recommend that they do? I do have an attachment style quiz. If, if you contact my <laughs> Melissa, she can give you over a link, but you can take an attachment style quiz. There are a few online. I have made one myself, so you can kind of find out where you land. Um, it's, it's, remember it's a label, don't get stuck in the label. And then you can start to understand, okay, where is my fear? Where is my deep rooted fear? What have I been avoiding? What patterns have I continued in my life? You know, we start to look at core 
wounds and they're charged. We start to see wherever is charged, like I'm unlovable or, you know, there's certain statements that just have a heavier charge. And then we know that there's developmental shame and there's developmental wounding around those wounds. And so we can start to work on those where they live in the body when they first started. That's when you start to really unpack and become more embodied and more conscious and more aware and less likely to play out your wounds and more likely to re-experience them so you can move them from your body and integrate them and they don't dictate your choices anymore. Okay, great. We'll link to that in our show notes. So if anybody's listening, they can go ahead and, and take a quiz so that they can learn more about themselves. Last question would be, what could somebody expect? Somebody says, okay, I've spent my whole life anxiously attached, but I'm going to work on myself. Does that mean I won't struggle anymore? How much better could life be? How better could my relationships get? Well, your relationships could get a lot better, but it's with quite a bit of inner work and it takes time. And so depending on the wounding and we call implicit memory, so implicit and explicit memory, it could take a while before you work through all that fear and terror and pain. And again, you need the right people to help hold it. You need those safe environments. There's a lot of factors. And so, but your whole world can change. And it's not just about having the right relationship. It's your level of intimacy with life itself, with everybody you come in contact with, nature, with your friends, with your dog, like everything deepens because you're doing the work. And then hopefully, you know, you incorporate a new romantic partner in that doesn't become your world, but you also can develop an intimate relationship and that becomes part of your world. Well, Jessica Baum, you've given us some hope for anybody who says, you know, I've struggled with relationships that, yes, there is hope. There are things I can do and we'll link to your book so everybody who's interested can go get a copy of Anxiously Attached. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great interview. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for being here. Great. Welcome to The Therapist Take. Let's break down Jessica's mental strength building strategies. Here are three of my favorite strategies that she shared. One, accept that your attachment may stem from your history and isn't your fault. You might blame yourself for being too clingy or for being insecure, but your responses might stem from things that happened to you when you were an infant. And your nervous system responds to fear of abandonment in a certain way due to things that are beyond your control. So when you keep that in mind, it might help you become a little bit less reactive and it might help you look at things more objectively. That could help you take some steps toward healing. Keep in mind though, that just because it's not your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. You can still take responsibility for healing. And number two, notice the type of people you're naturally attracted to and think about why. Keep in mind that your attachment style might not be limited to your romantic relationships only. You might exhibit an anxious attachment with your friends or with certain family members too. So think about the people that you're naturally attracted to and consider what is it about them that attracts you? You might find that you attract people with different attachment styles often. And just understanding that about yourself could help you recognize what's happening in the future when you find people that you're naturally attracted to. And number three, take the attachment style quiz. It's tough to view our own attachment style sometimes. So I'm thrilled that Jessica has a quiz that you can take. I link to it in the show notes so that you can take the quiz and learn more. 
Knowing your attachment style might help you understand yourself, and it could help you make healthier choices down the road. Keep in mind that everyone has the ability to heal their emotional wounds and to develop healthier attachments. If you need help doing that, reach out to a therapist if you can. So those are three of Jessica's tips that I highly recommend. Accept that some of your attachment issues might be beyond your control. Consider what type of people you're naturally attracted to and take her attachment style quiz. And of course, go pick up a copy of Jessica's book, Anxiously Attached. You can find it wherever books are sold. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to the Mentally Stronger podcast. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. That's one of the best ways to help us get the show in front of other people so we can make the world a stronger place. And if you want more tips on building mental strength, subscribe to Mentally Stronger Premium. You'll get weekly bonus episodes and lots of exclusive extras for being a premium subscriber. Sign up at mentallystronger.supercast.com or just click on the link in the show notes. And of course, if you know somebody who could benefit from learning more about mental strength, share the show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who's bringing his mom to the Grammys with him this year. I think he's been nominated for like his 16th Grammy. Nick Valentine. <laughs>